Man, this is different. I haven't stood on stage. I've been sitting on stage each week uh, for the last, what is it, 10, 11 weeks. It's been crazy that, that things have you know, changed so dramatically uh, you know, in, in a short period of time. It is still kind of surreal, especially just with the other things that are happening in our culture and in our time and in our day. Uh, but God is sovereign, and He is doing some amazing things in, in the church. Um, there's things I know God is preparing in the seedbed of humanity, even right now, uh, as I'm speaking. Um, and for those of you that are at home watching the live stream, and it's just amazing to think about the power of gathering together and the power of you being at home and us all being united um, by the blood of Christ, even in this moment. It's so powerful. So if you got your Bible, we're in Acts. Uh, if you've not been with us, we've been uh, traversing through the, the book of Acts. And it's amazing because there was this viral spread throughout humanity back um, in the early parts of Christianity where the, the, the church was launched and the church of Christ was born just as we sang. Um, and uh, it spread so quickly and so furiously at, throughout the world. Um, and it only happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 11... Uh, if you've got your Bible, we see some interesting things happen. It's kind of, uh, we see these kind of marker things happen as the, as the gospel gets pushed out to the rest of the world. And I think one of the things that uh, we think about uh, in this season, I've heard this a lot just amongst business leaders, community leaders, and things that I've showed up to uh, recently, church leaders, you know, what's the new normal? Like, anybody heard that term a bunch? Like, what's the new normal going to be? You know, what are we going to do in church? What's it going to look like? How many, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to have these, we're going to have these. And we have the, you know, the, the questions people are asking. And then there's the, the, when are we going to get back to normal? When are things going to get back into, you know, when, when can we, and, I, and I'm with you. Like just having a few of our leaders here singing together, I think there is a little bit of that. This is right. Like we feel like the gathering of the church, as it says in Hebrews, we should never forsake meeting together. God created humanity to connect, to be shoulder to shoulder. And then through the gospel, by God's blood, he even connects us more to one another. Through our reconciliation with him, we reconcile with one another and we become brothers and sisters. And we want to see each other. Not across a Zoom screen, but face to face. It's what we, it's what we long for. It's part of who we are as human beings. So we want to get back to that. But what is the new normal? What is the what, what is the is is the, the change that's happening right now? Not just with COVID nineteen, but there's racial uprising in terms of people saying something's got to change, and it's a dark time. I mean, so you know, we we, we can't argue that. Somebody said this morning in pre-service prayer, it's almost hard to walk out in public and smile without feeling guilty about it. Like, I am actually happy today. Joy of the Lord's on me. But you can't even express it. Because how could you possibly be happy? And I think that's kind of this mode amongst people on planet Earth. But the question is, what are we doing? How do we respond as the church? What does it mean to be Christian in a season like this, and I love that we're in Acts chapter 11 because we see markers of Christianity all throughout the book of Acts, but we see some incredible markers that are relevant for us today as we jump into Acts chapter 11. You know, I was thinking about this idea of the new normal, you know, the, the, the idea that change brings about a new normal. And here's the reality for everybody. I think some people are more apt to change. Who's a changer in here, like of our, of our leaders? Like you like change? Like, man, change it up. I, I don't like who it disrupts your world every time we change a service time. 
You know, every time something's a little bit different, the entryway's a little bit different, they move the trash can. I don't even know why they move the trash can. What's going on? Well, this season has been difficult for you, but the reality is, I, I read some, again, I love psychology today. I read a bunch of articles. I won't bore you with them because the sum total is nobody actually likes change. Some people deal with it better. Some people transition with it better. Some people recognize that creativity and innovation expound in the midst of change. But us as humans, we love rhythms. We like a lane. We want to stay in it. We want to run it. It makes us comfortable. It creates safety and security. It's part of who we are as humans. But we live on planet Earth with a broken humanity. So change is inevitable. We serve a mighty God who is creative and innovative and does not fear, and does not need a particular rhythm to do his work. In fact, he often uses change to oust us out of our rhythms, doesn't he? He uses situations and circumstances that actually are, are uncomfortable for us to institute change. I remember years ago, uh, and I, I don't, I mean, I'm kind of in the middle on the whole change thing. I think my wife would say, I, I would say I'm an early adopter. I was a software guy and I liked new software. But in terms of other things, I probably am a little slow. Like, I'm like, let's wait a little longer. Let's, let's see, you know, let's, let's, let's look at, let's, let's, let's survey the land a little bit more before we make a decision. Um, let's, you know, let's do a little bit more research on Amazon before we make the purchase. That might be me. Uh, but I remember in high school, I, I played football in high school. I know, it's surprising to some of you. Um, and uh, I, I should say, I play football, because that's the way you got to say it. you got to I play football in high school. Um, or I play bass. That's a, those two, you always got to lower your voice. Uh, bass players always roll in here. I love it. I think all of them, they come in without a case. They just come in with their bass. Like rock and roll. We don't, why do we need a case? There's a couple dings on it. It's fine. Get up here. Bah, 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 my rock and roll. I play bass. Or I play football. So I played football in high school. And my, my first three years, I was a running back. And don't laugh. I know you're looking at me like, really? Um, I was really fast. I mean, like lightning. It was only in a straight line. Like I, I could zoom, like straight line. Give him the thing and he'll go, you know, hopefully nobody gets in his way or, you know, he'll just have to run into him and fall down. But we'll give it to him and let him run. And I was really fast. That's why I played for three years. I played running back. But then my senior year, uh, somebody transferred in. His name was Mike uh, from another school. Uh, I think I've mentioned this in here before. He was 225 pounds and he ran a 4440. Um, so my career as a running back ended very swiftly. Um, and I, I knew that it was coming. And I remember the coach called me in to uh, talk to him. And he said, he was real sweet. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, we've had a guy come in. You know, I think you probably met him in the summer workouts. His name's Mike. Yeah, I've seen him run around a little bit. Um, and he, he, you know, he's, he's, he plays running back too. And, you know, we've been just kind of evaluating things. And I'm just like, get to it, man. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, things are going to change. And we're just thinking you should play another position, uh, like a defense or something. Like it was either that or I was going to, sit on the bench. So he said, you know, we, you know, we're thinking a couple of the defensive coaches like, you know, we need another guy, a linebacker. I'm like, linebacker, you, do you look at me? I mean, is that, I mean, and so I end up on defense and I didn't want to be there, but I had, look, look, I had no choice. Change was coming. There was nothing that I could do about it. Even though I liked it three years, running back, give me the thing. I'm going to run straight, you know, kickoffs. That's me. He's a guy right down the sideline. I loved it. And all of a sudden, I'm on the other side of the ball, unfamiliar territory, doing something I wasn't familiar with, doing it in a way like all of a sudden, I'm a straight line guy, and then you're this guy, you know. I'm looking down the line, you know, the horizontal. You're running, you know, sideline to sideline instead of this way. A whole different thing. But something amazing happened in that season. I, I loved linebacker. Like, it was hard work to learn the position. You know, it was my last year, and I thought, man, I gotta be a. I was way better, way better at linebacker than I was as a running back. 
Just instinctively, there was something that just got brought out of me. Just a little bit of crazy, you know, I want to shave the sides of my hair and go a little nuts. I liked it. I liked hitting people. I didn't, I got hit. I mean, who doesn't want to be on defense? I was running in a straight line and people were hitting me all the time. Now I'm like, <laughs> see him running in a straight line. I knew you. I was you. Bam! And I hit him. I was a much better. My life was better. Now, was the road there difficult? Yes. Did I want to go there? No. Did I have fear rolling into that season? Absolutely. Did I think I was going to sit on the bench? Yes. But I ended up, it ended up being the best season of football, one of the best sports experiences of my life. And it all came with a new normal. It all came with a change. And I think for many of us, we, we resist change. We resist the things that are going on. In fact, we look at things and we say, look at this disaster. Can't we get back to where we were, where we could breathe, where we felt comfortable walking outside, smiling with the love of Christ on our face? But the question that we have to ask, and maybe we have to ask it differently, is what is God doing in the midst of this? Because he's always doing something. And, and one of the things, as I've been praying in this season, in the midst of what I see with protests going on, and, and those turning into riots, window breaking, fire, and seeing justified anger and frustration in our society, seeing people rising up, saying, this has got to stop. But the ensuing battle lines that are being drawn, even when we're unified with the fact of a, of a horrific act that has happened in humanity, and that humans treat each other poorly, and that needs to change. There's an inequity in the way that we treat one another, and that needs to change. Well, what's happening right now? Well, God, what are you doing? This is awful. What happened to the old good U.S. of A., you know, home of the free, land of the brave? What happened to that? What happened to a, a country that's united on the Christian values? What, what happened to that? Can't we get back to that? And what, what, what God showed me when I was praying, it was like I, I all of a sudden, it was like my eyes were open. I said, and if this happens throughout history. It's like all of a sudden, brokenness and sin, inequity and racism, all of those things have existed since the dawn of time. Since people were insecure and felt like they had to oppress and suppress other people to make themselves feel better about themselves. Races have done it all throughout history. But we found a way to shroud it. We found a way to make it look okay. We've done some things along the way. We've put things in place. And we, we should fight it. We should put things in place. But God, all of a sudden, in this season, it's like he's pulled back the sheet and said, I just want to let you know that sin is bad. I want to let you know that humanity is broken. I want to let you know that no matter what you do, I'm not telling you not to get involved in government. I'm not telling you not to protest and rise up and say what is right and speak truth and love. But I'm telling you, there is one hope for humanity. And if I don't pull back these covers, if I don't pull back this sheet and give you an eyeball view of actually what's happening, because we've been living in comfort in the United States of America, riding it out in our communities and the worlds that we live in and in churches. And God's going, guess what? Trouble's coming. But it's always been there. Sin, it's always been there. And I'm going to pull back the covers and we're all going to look at it. We're all going to see it. And you're going to realize there is one singular hope for humanity. And it's Jesus, only Jesus. One thing will reconcile. One thing will save. One thing will restore. One person will restore. And his name is Jesus. He is our hope. He is, he is the, the name that we lift up in this house. And it has always been that way. And this, it's so crazy that the same thing was going on in their church. They were in Jerusalem and Judea and things were going good. It was like the, you know, like the, the gospel's moving forward. 
Everybody was kind of a homogeneous culture. Everybody's Jewish. Everybody's like all of a sudden Jew, there's all these Jewish converts. And, and the church is building. And it, it was supposed to in that season. But then all of a sudden, what happens? It wasn't a great thing. A guy got killed. Stephen, he was martyred. He was martyred on the streets. And then what happens? Persecution and scattering of Christians to Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. We see in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip come in and all of a sudden he's in Samaria. Amazing things happen. The church is expanding. He preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. All of a sudden now we're, we're stretching out to the ends of the earth. And it keeps progressing. In 10 we see he's shaking up the leadership of the church. Going, hey, you, you can't be, you, you think it's just, just for the Jews. You think this whole thing, you, you've got an idea that they're less than you. You missed, when, when I said that you were set apart as a peop, the people, you, you've missed that. That you're not better than anyone else. In fact, all of these people are my children. And what does he do? He opens the eyes of Peter. And in fact, at the beginning of this passage, he's getting criticism. He, you know, he, goes, he goes back to Jerusalem and everybody's telling him. You remember last week we talked about him going to Cornelius' house? He wasn't even supposed to walk through the, across the threshold of a Gentile's house. Roman centurion. Bunch of pagans in there. And he's now he's eaten with them a couple times, hung out with them. They've all become Christians. He goes back to Jerusalem and everybody's like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're not supposed to do that. And Peter's like, you, you will not believe what happened to me. And he begins to tell the story. He begins to expound on his dream and then talk about going to Cornelius' house and says, guess what? You know how the Holy Spirit fell? Remember when we were all there at Pentecost and everything went crazy and I preached this sermon I didn't even know was in there? You remember all that? Holy Spirit? Guess what? It's fallen on the Gentiles too. As soon as I was praying, as soon as I was preaching. And that's what he says as we look at Acts chapter 15. Look at this. It says, as I began to speak. Verse 15, sorry, Acts chapter 11. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them. As he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift to us who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think, and I love this, that I could stand in God's way? We don't want to do that, church. We do never want to stand in God's way. And I think I've had to ask myself this week, if I ever stood in God's way, not that I've ever like, been in opposition to God because he would just go boop, but have I ever been that person that, wasn't, that my mind wasn't open, that my eyes weren't open to what God was doing in the church? I certainly have been that person and I don't want to be that person anymore where I stand in God's way. In verse 18 it says, when they heard this, guess what? They're like, okay. They had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to Life. It's Jesus, only Jesus. They're like, man, this thing is powerful. More powerful than we ever thought. It's crossing racial boundaries. In verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, just as we were talking about, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks. So they're there. They're like, hey, I guess we're here. We're spread out in persecution. Maybe we should tell some of these Greeks about Jesus. You know, look at that guy from Cyprus. We should tell him about it. You know, let's see what happens. And of course, what happens? Spirit of God falls and things go crazy in this place called Antioch. The spirit breaks out and the gospel begins to move faster than it ever had. They told him the good news about the Lord Jesus and the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 
So now something different's happened. Something they never expected. A very sinful, broken, diverse, pagan city. A Roman city. Antioch was the the third largest city in the world. There wasn't a city as large as Antioch. Again, after the Roman Empire went down, there wasn't a city as large as Antioch again until 1850. I just want to tell you, that's a big city. It was was 15 to 20 times larger than Jerusalem. It was a big urban city, full of diversity, but full of social problems, brokenness, and sin. So much so that most, like before persecution, Jews were like, we're not getting near there. Like, that's not not where you go. Let's keep the people, you know, the kids aren't going, they're going to Christian college. They're not going to the Antioch college because we got to keep them, you know, in, in in the bucket, right? We got to keep them isolated. We got to preserve this movement that we've got going on. But God was coming to rattle their cage a little bit and change things. In verse 22, it says, The news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. So they're like, oh, oh goodness. And they sent Barnabas. I'm like, Barnabas, you got to go check things out. Something crazy's happening in Antioch. Go make sure it's not bad because we're, we're, that, that we're hearing some crazy things like Greeks and, and all these different nationalities. All these pagans are are receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, what does this mean for us? Is this right? And when he arrived, he saw, listen to this, he saw what the grace of God had done, and he was glad. That's our response that, sh- that should happen, no matter who it falls on. Because there's people, is there people in your life, you're like, man, I hope the grace of God doesn't fall on him, because I just don't like him. I mean, I think that, that we have to change our mode and look outside of ourselves. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people brought, were brought to the Lord. And then, I love this, Barnabas sees what's going on. He goes to Antioch and he's like, dude, we got to go get Paul. Paul will be blown away if he sees this. So he says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He's like, bro, you got to come see this. This is crazy. we got a serious problem here too because the church is growing so fast. we got all these different people, all these nationalities, and these people were pagans. Before we had people that had an idea of who God is. They knew how to act as good religious people. And that was kind of easy. But now we got a bunch of pagans that know nothing. They are at bottom level. And crazy stuff's happening in the church. I'm telling you, they don't know exactly what did it. We need some serious discipleship. So he's like, let's go get Paul. So they get Paul. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm going to stay here for a while. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, who would later be called Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And listen to this. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. First time we hear the term Christian. I mean, there's so much here that gives us just direction by the power of the Holy Spirit to to lead the church to walk as Christians. To to live life in the culture, the new normal that, that God's given us. The new place. And I want to talk about just three different things today that are... Marks of Christians and circumstances that, that change things for us in a good way. To give us a new lens. And the first one is that God uses discomfort, change, and trouble to expand the gospel. God uses discomfort, change, and trouble to expand the gospel. He always does. You see it move furiously in the midst of persecution. And then all of a sudden you come into a place like Antioch. Which that, that place was trouble. You talk about... I mean, the, the social classes were so spread out. The social problems were at an all-time high. You had 
very, very few rich people at the top of the aristocracy or the, 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 the Roman officials, and then all of a sudden you had the poorest of the poor, all packed in a confined, really packed city, high population. Unbelievable problems, unbelievable hurt, and unbelievable need. But you see, under pressure, the church carries the gospel, and God uses that pressure to create treasure in the gospel. He does. He squeezes you and me in the midst of these type circumstances to change things. Now, here's the, here's the, the misunderstanding that, that's happened in the church over centuries, but, but really in the last 50 years. And a guy named Harvey Cox wrote about this in the 60s. He said, this is going to happen, and it's happened. And he, it was, I think uh, the secular city is what he talked about. Like, you know, Christianity is going to have to deal with a pagan world. You know, in God we trust, and we've been sitting under this banner for 200-something years, you know, in a comfortable world, rolling into churches on every corner, sipping lattes, listening to sermons, and going out assuming everybody's Christian. It's just not true anymore. It's not even close to true anymore. We live in, in, in the United States of America, a, a, a pluralistic, pagan, monotheistic, any, uh, any way up the mountain to God. That's the culture that we live in. If we think that that's true, I think in the Bible Belt, we have the shroud on. And maybe now God's kind of pulled that off and we realize things are still really bad here. We're supposedly Christian nation and things are, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people in the United States of America, a lot of people in your neighborhood, a lot of people at your job, a lot of people that are very close to you that don't believe what you believe. They don't believe that Jesus is the only way. They don't believe that he is the only thing that will reconcile planet Earth. They're all over. We live in a pagan culture. And, and what, what our reaction has been to, to the pagan culture in the past is to preserve Christianity, to preserve the church, we need to set ourselves apart. We use Christian terminology to say we're going to set ourselves apart. We're going we're to pull ourselves together in homogeneous communities and make sure you know, that when our kids go off to college, that they're going to go to this college. We make sure that we, make sure that, you know, we, we don't get too, you know, we, get, we can't get too close to those people. We can't hang out with these people. We've got to make sure that we're, we all kind of look alike, talk alike, act alike, that that's the kind of, kind of thing that we've got going on because we've got to preserve. If we, get, if, if we expose ourselves too much to the culture, then oh no, guess what's going to happen? It's going to destroy the church. In fact, that's what people think is happening right now. Look, we've let the church kind of get too much infused in culture. And in some ways, we do dive in and we become very cultural. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more about proximity, not the, the idea of grabbing. It's like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to be all things to all people that I might save some. He's like, I'm going to be knee deep in the culture, but I will not lose my bearings in Christ. That's what he says in the middle of that passage. Like, I'm, I'm going to, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To, to the Gentile, I became a Gentile. To the person that was, was moral, I, 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 I could empathize with them. That's, that's who I was. To the immoralist, I got on their level so that I could empathize with them. Every, every type of person. To the poor, I wanted to empathize with them. To the rich, I wanted to empathize with them. I wanted to meet people where they were. I didn't want to shout down from the mountaintop, do what I'm doing because I'm better than you. But I wanted to get in their position, see things from their perspective and point of view that I might lead some of them to the only thing that matters, which is Jesus. That's the way that he operated. But to do that, the Apostle Paul knew that he had to get in close proximity. That's why he was so fired up when Barnabas came and said, hey, let's go to Antioch. I'm in. I'm there. I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to take these new pagan converts, and the, these people will have leverage 
that, that nobody's ever had. And the error that the church has made is that incorrectly is that the more that we expose ourselves to the outside world, to brokenness, to this pluralistic society, the worse off we will be. The less Christianity will flourish. The less Christian we'll be. But guess what? This passage teaches the opposite. It's the opposite that we see. The more, when we get in, in, in situations and circumstances like we're in now, and this is what it, I think what's happening right now is tragic. I do. Nobody wants to see hurt. Nobody wants to see anything that, that, that we've had to see. But guess what? In the midst of this, we can embrace the hope that we have. And it will be a light in darkness like never before. Because in this community, in Antioch, there was more social troubles, more poverty, more brokenness. There was more diversity, more paganism, more opposition, honestly, more crime. But guess what else there was? There was more need than ever before because the covers had been revealed. The covers had been pulled back. These people knew. They had chased everything. They had tried everything. They were experiencing the brokenness of living any way that they wanted. It was a whole city of prodigals. They had all spent it all. They had all wasted it all. They had all tried it all. And now they were in the midst of this pagan city on their knees eating pig slop, wondering, where is my home? Is there a father that loves me? And then all of a sudden, true-hearted Christians show up. And they're like, we know where home is. We've got a compass that leads you back home. And these people, these Gentiles were fertile ground were such fertile ground for the gospel. And I think we stand in a place where there's fertile ground like never before. See, in this pluralistic society, it, with, the, with the brokenness and with the strife, the quicker these people recognize their need, almost quicker than the Jews did. The Jews thought, hey, we, 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 know, we know God's stuff. We, we've got religion. We know. And the, the Greeks, the pagans, they were like, whatever you got, we, we want this. Whatever, whatever this is, because we've tried it all. And I think about our cities, I think about, I think we're realizing it. That there's certain things that we think will save us. And it's not, I, I want to say this before I say what I want to say. It's not that I don't think we should get involved in government, in protests. I don't think, you know, that politics we should be completely removed from and not, not know what's going on. I think you should know what's going on. It's that we, we shouldn't be shuddering and shaking in our boots because God's not up in heaven, sovereign above, going, oh no, what about the election? Who's it going to be? Oh no, he's not. And we are not citizens of this kingdom. We live here and we should be in, in proximity to the people that are broken and in need. But we're not worried and we're not scared. And as soon as people begin to realize, guess what? A politician isn't going to save you. The government's not going to save you. New social reforms aren't going to save you. You know why? Because people, there's people in charge. Have you not realized that? Every election, every official that gets in, in power. And there's people we like more. I mean, George W. Bush, you kind of liked him, wanted to have a beer with him, you know, at the end of the day. But I mean, depending on where you fell on the lines, people loved him, hated him. It didn't matter what administration. Obama administration, same thing. You've got the, the nation divided. But at the end of the day, is our hope in them? Is that where we place our hope? Are we going to let them get us so angry as we watch CNN and Fox News? Is that who we are as believers? Or are we... Are we calm? 
Believing, standing in the midst of it, that not running and isolating ourselves. A city on a hill doesn't mean off in Montana on a mountain where nobody can touch us, where we churn our own butter. Nobody will become a Christian with that kind of light on a hill. That is, that is not light on a hill. We want to be a city on a hill. And right now we can be like never before. And I know I sound excited. I think it's devastating what's happening. But I know when we're uncomfortable, I know when trouble comes, God moves and the gospel moves like never before. And people are ripe. People are listening. People have their ears open. People need reconciliation. And they are not going to find it in government. They are not going to find it in themselves. They will only find it in Jesus. That's how it will happen. And we have to be the empathetic people that are able to sit in the discomfort and realize that we have to embrace this season without fear. It will change us as people. We will see creativity expound in this change. We've already, I've already seen it. I mean, Gerald Tiano, I love you. He, you should see how fast he moves and changes and pivots. I'm like, hey, this week we're not doing that, we're doing this. And he's like, okay. And then he does this. And I, I don't think anybody really realizes all the little pieces and parts that when you make changes that, that ha- happen as it goes. Everybody on our team, just the, the, the moves and pivots. But it's been kind of, there's a, there's a fun to it because creativity's happening. But we, we really have no choice. We really have no choice. All of a sudden, when, when circumstances happen, we, rea- we, we, we react and all of a sudden creativity, a new way expounds. These people are realizing in Antioch a new way. They're like, oh my goodness. You know, this ends of the earth thing. This is a lot easier when we tell these pagans. Because these pagans, guess who they talk to? Other pagans. Guess who they know? They know other races. They know, they know about all the other religions. They know things that we can't possibly know. We need this guy. And we need that guy. We need this guy. Just us as a collection of Jews, we've got a platform But now we've got this massive platform united under the cross of Jesus Christ, paid for in his blood. Now we can take over the world. Now we can show people what redemption's all about. People got excited. People got so just absolutely wrapped up in this whole thing because they're they're like, "This this is different. We can change in this season and pivot in this season because one, we have no choice. But we'll see things flower and bloom in creativity. You know, Tim Keller tells a story about when his kid was little and uh, put him up on the top of an eight-foot slide, and he gets ready to go to the front of the slide and catch his son. And you know, his son did the kind of drunk wobble at the top of the slide and then fell backwards. And he was at the front of the slide. He 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 makes it to the back, catches him, and his wife's looking at him like, "You six four, two hundred forty pounds? I had no idea you could move like that." Like he's like, "My son would have been hurt." And he's like, I I had no idea that was in there. I had no idea, but it was in there. But the the circumstance and the situation, the trouble, all of a sudden birthed something new. And for us that are uncomfortable with change, God sometimes comes in and goes, guess what? We're just going to squeeze this thing a little bit. And we're going to see some beauty from the ashes. Because that's what God's about. That's where redemption, he's going to show us things that will rise from Horrible situations where we, we think and believe that there's no hope. But as Christians, we are going to embrace this hope without fear. You know, it's interesting. We, we, we resist change. I mean, my second point is the church should feel uncomfortable. It should feel uncomfortable. This was uncomfortable for these people. That's why they were telling Peter, hey, why are you going to the Gentiles' house? What are you doing? He's like, I know it was uncomfortable. God told me to. I had to do it. And then, amazing, 
I remember being at RCC years ago, and, and for those of the leaders that are in here and a lot of people that are on the stream, you've seen prayer ministry. But I remember going on staff and seeing people's reaction to prayer ministry because it's one of those things that we do at the end of our services where we ask people to come forward. Like it's a very raw and open moment. And for people that have been in church their whole life, it's, it's not normal. They're just like, I never went to a church. I've seen the altar call. They call the, you know, it's like the two guys. They always come forward. You know, they need Jesus. But more than everybody else, we all stand back and, yay, Larry went up again, gave his life to Jesus. I know he had a drink last week, and he's giving it all back, and he's doing good. And there's Larry again, yay. And we all stand back and watch him go forward every, every, every week. And then they see prayer ministry, and you see this flood of people come forward going, I need Jesus. And in the early days of RCC, it was kind of like this little miniature slice of Antioch because it was on the northwest side of Jacksonville. You had the richest of the rich there. You had poor people, people struggling with addiction. You had people from all the communities that surrounded the northwest side of Jacksonville. You know anything about this area? And it was beautiful. And worship was an experience. The Holy Spirit came. You, you experienced in the diversity. You would experience God in a powerful way. But then ministry would happen. And what we noticed as a staff was church people didn't engage in ministry that quickly. They'd be sitting back like this going, what is this new thing? Is this biblical? And, and the lost people, which there was tons in the church at the time, that didn't know Jesus, that just had no interest in Christianity, but they were there because of desperation, just in the diversity. We'd had lots of lost people at the church. Guess what? Lost people were running up to the front going, if there's something I am broken. I am in need. If there's something that I can have, give it to me. And they would come up for prayer ministry, hold their hands out in the awkwardness, close their eyes like, I'm ready to receive the gift. Whatever it is, give it to me. They were ready. And then you got the Christians back here. You know, they've been in church and they're coming to a new church. This is a new church. You know, is this one of those new wave churches? I don't know. All these pagans are going forward. Does that mean that it's good? You know, of course, they're doing something that's attractive to the world. I don't know if I'm going to go for it. And eventually they realized by the power of the Spirit, God finally just got behind them and went poof and pushed them all forward because they realized they need Jesus too in their religiosity. Such a beautiful picture of we need to be in these places in these spaces of, of discomfort and not standing back going, I've made it in my position being uncomfortable is good for us. Being in a church where things change and we have to look around and go, it's time to change, but it's for the good of the gospel. Not just to change, like culture's changing, so we should change with them, but culture's changing. Now we have an opportunity to carry the gospel in a different way. That's, that's a whole different thing than, hey, the music changed a little bit. It used to be U2-ish, and now we got a little bit of Coldplay, and now we got to change. No, that's not what I'm talking about talking about the raw nature of peeling back the covers in our culture right now and opening our eyes going, instead of going, what's God doing? Going, what's God doing? Different way to say the same thing. Excited, heartbroken, empathetic, but excited that God is on the move because we believe that he is sovereign and on his throne. We should be uncomfortable sometimes, church. I've certainly been uncomfortable along the way in this whole thing. Be, be ministering to people that we never would minister to. I don't know if anybody remembers uh, Brian Welch from Corn, like the band. Like this definitely dates me. All the youth are like, Corn, what's that? I just remember doing this. My dad, I don't like Corn. He just made me do the Corn. Corn, you know what I mean? That era, Pantera, Corn, Nine Inch Nails, anybody? Um, I guess I'm alone. Um, I looked at a, a few people. Yeah, Arkells, I know. You, the, you were Nine Inch Nails people, I know. Um, so this guy has this amazing conversion story. He realizes, like, he's at the end of his, he's kind of like doing meth every day. He's, the band was just, you know, world-renowned, taking over in, in the hardcore world, just blowing it up. 
And the dude just looks crazy. Like, he is tatted, like, everywhere. Like, I mean, you know, he's got crazy hair, you know, guitar player for corn, super popular, all the women he could ever want, all the money he could ever want, all the adulation and love that he could ever want from people in a con, like, it's just everything. And then it, 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 he gets to this place where he's availability to drugs, cocaine, meth, meth addict. And he's destroying his life, and emptiness is just finding its way in, no matter how much money he had, no matter what he had. I love his story because it's, it is the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the raw nature of a pagan society coming to the end of itself. And he says, you know, I, I was in that place doing meth with my daughter in the room, just tragic. And he said, it's, I love that. This is the part of the story I love that nobody really pays attention to. He's like, it's amazing. This guy became a convert, you know, this hardcore guy that did drugs. His real estate agent in his dockers and his blue button-up, asked him to go to church in the midst of that. He gave him a verse out of Matthew 11 and said, hey, I just want to give this verse to you out of Matthew 11. I don't know what it means to you, but, you know, if you're heavy and, and heavy laden and burdensome, you know, Jesus will give you rest. And he just thought, that's true. Didn't say anything to him. Went home. And then a, a day later, real same real estate agent invites him to church. He said he goes to church and of course, everybody's looking at him funny. Everybody's in their blue dockers, cruising in, you know, and this guy with weird braids and tattoos everywhere cruises in. They're like, oh, goodness, pagan. Um, he feels the love of God. Despite all that, feels the love of God. He, like never before. He's, there was, I, I went in as an empty shell is what he says. And all of a sudden, the love of God just filled everything of who he was, and it changed him. He goes, I felt the Father's love, the Father's love. And he goes, I went home. Guess what? I was ready to do meth again, spread it all out. And he said, in that moment, I realized I'm going to die if I keep doing this, but I have to do it. And so he said, if, if you're really God, then take this away. Make it, make it not happen. And he said, and all of a sudden, by the power of the Holy Spirit, boom. He said, I felt that love of God I felt in church. And he goes, it filled every, everything that I needed. And I had never felt that love. I had never felt or experienced anything like that before. Changed his life forever. Didn't do the meth. Left the band. I remember that the announcement. Everybody was like, you know, that is crazy, you know. He says he listened to the Nine Inch Nails song different every time. You know, I think there was a, a line in the song about, you know, if you, bow, if you bow down and you worship something, it will take you down. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I did over and over and over again. And, and what I love about this and what I love about his story is that he was, he was, the, he was the person everybody was looking at that all parents would say are the problem. Like, that's the problem with society. We got to keep our kids away. You know, but he, this is what I love. A guy who's a, because we think we have no, no grounding to talk to anybody. Like we think, I, you know, I don't, have, I don't have leverage with this guy. I don't have leverage with this person that's different than me. I don't have leverage with somebody that's got, you know, weird braids and tattoos on their face. I don't have leverage with this person that's this color. I don't have leverage with this person because they don't do the same job that I do. I don't have leverage with this person because I'm 75 and they're 18. I don't have leverage with this person because I'm 19 and they're 45. And we make those assumptions. Real estate agent and, and dockers. It's just, I love that. Because we, we stand in our, our world thinking, well, this is the people that God's given us, our homogeneous culture and our homogeneous land. And I think God's shaking that up right now. And it excites me about what, what it could be. You know, about what, what church could look like, about what we look like as we stop existing the way that we're existing and find ourselves outside risking. Could you imagine? If you looked at a picture of Ryan Welch, he, he's not the guy that you, I, I mean, it's just like, you'd be almost scared to say anything to him as the real estate agent. You know, like, um, 
he may do something bad to me. You know, I know he's got a problem with meth and weapons and I don't know. Sharing Jesus with him. The risk factor. Are we willing to talk to people? Open our mouths. We're willing to do a lot of stuff, apparently, just watching the news. People are willing to go crazy and do a lot of things for things that, that, that obviously need to be shaken up. But the name of Jesus trumps all other names. All other names. Are we raising our voice for that? Are we raising our voice individually with, with other people? And lastly, as, as we end, number three, so God uses change and discomfort. We need to be uncomfortable. And the church is called to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that he purchased with his blood. Absolutely. Antioch was this crazy thing where the walls came down. Like we talked about the dividing wall of hostility. There was a wall around the city, but guess what? There was, there was so many different social groups there. They had the, the, the Syrians, the Romans, the Greeks, the Africans, the Persians, the Indians, Chinese. 18 individual ethnic quarters in Antioch. 18. So they had, and it was divided, like they had the city walls, and then they had walls around each ethnic quarter. Isn't that crazy? And people were, were leaving these walls, all these different 18 ethnic groups, to become one community in which they, they all were kind of like, what do we call ourselves? What do we call ourselves? We'll call ourselves Christian, united in the blood of Christ. That's what we're going to do. And all of these walls came down. It's like, you know, you have you know, Chinatown, you have Little Italy. They had 18 of them, but with walls. And all of a sudden, they came together. They worshipped as one body, as one unit. Fertile soil outside these doors and outside these walls, like never before people, with people that, that need to know Jesus, that need to know who He is. And we're not just supposed to be, you know, call people that look like us, talk like us, dress like us, same socioeconomic status. Again, I realize the people that are close to you might be in that status. And please, by all means, share with them too. But how are we stretching? Because I know day, day in, day out, I see a lot of different people. I talk to a lot of different people. And I used to be like, I don't like that drive-by evangelism thing where you just all of a sudden share with somebody in the gas station. You know what? I've thrown that out the window. I'm like, why not? What do you got to lose? I'm just going to talk to them about Jesus. Ask them where they are with God. I mean, I don't want to stumble into it weird. You know, you got to have a logical reason to get there. You know, you don't want to have a bullhorn. Do you know Jesus in the gas station? But in this season, I got to remember who I am. My identity is in Christ. I am a child of God. And I was never meant to just take that and go home and quarter myself off in a safe little corner, a nice little homogeneous corner of the world and continue to minister to my nice little corner of people but to send out missionaries across the globe, to send out missionaries in my city, to plant churches outside of this church, which is crazy to think about. We've got a small little tribe here, but we're going to plant churches. The power of God is moving and changing things. And I don't know where, where everybody is or how everybody came in this morning, but I, I just, I know there's somebody on the other side of the, the, the stream. I know there's people, even leaders in here, that, that maybe my hope is, is that through the blood, just through the, the, the visual picture of knowing who Christ is, knowing that he poured his blood out on a cross for you. He died for me to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to one another and then launch us out into the world. That you will look at 2020, not as, you know, 2020, the year of COVID-19 and this racial uprising. But to, to look, this 
2020 was the year my eyes were opened and, and spiritually I was never like I was before. Something happened. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of a new normal, something changed in my heart. Led me home to Jesus and then launched me out with a voice, with, without fear, with an excitement for the gospel. Excitement for the gospel for all people in a way like it has never happened before. Let's stand and we'll pray. God, we just, we, we love you. We want to be a, a church that is united, not, not under a, a cause or, or a church name or, or anything other than your name. United in your blood. We, we love you. We want to we stand in this place of change. We want to stand in this place of the rattling of the cage. We want to stand in this place of discomfort, knowing that it's good for us to not be comfortable and rely on you. It's good for our communities to be shaken up, that redemption might come, but that it would come through the power of Jesus. It would come through the love and the empathy of the church that, that could be the light in darkness. God, I pray that for our church. For the people that don't know Jesus, if you're wondering if it's possible for things to get better, it is. And it only happens in and through Jesus. God, come into those hearts and those lives. In Jesus' name.